to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now here's lead pastor, Chris Starr. I want to preach from uh, 1 John. 1 John chapter 4, just read two verses. And here's what John said. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us. That God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. And in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Hallelujah. I want to start this message by just saying, I want to talk about love. Uh, I, I love my family. I love my wife, I love my children, I love my daughters-in-law, I love my grandsons. Boy, do I love those grandsons. I love my mom and dad, I love my sister, my brother-in-law, my family members, my extended family members. I love my family. I love you. I love my church. I'm glad I can be a shepherd who says, I love my church. I love the people at high praises. I'm closer to some than others. Some I've known for years. Others are new to the church. Doesn't matter. I love you. I love our people. I love you. Uh, I, I, I love being around you. I love worshiping with you. I love fellowshipping with you and doing things with you. Um, my heart is just filled with love. Uh, and, you know, it's natural for me to love the people that are close to me. It's natural for me to love my family. It's natural for me to love you, my brothers and sisters in Christ. It's natural for me to love my friends. But, but, but let, me, let me tell you what's not natural. It's not natural. It's unnatural for me to love my enemies. It's unnatural for me to show affection or say, I love you. See, I can say, I love you to you. I can say I love you to my family very easily, but to say it to someone that has hurt me or someone that is my adversary, someone who deliberately attacks me, now that's unnatural. Now the reason I said all that is because John talks about the love of God for us. And I just want us to go back 2,000 years ago to Calvary. Go back 2,000 years ago to the cross. I want you to see Jesus hanging on the cross, covered with blood, nails driven through his hands and his feet, his, his side ripped open by a spear. And with that image in mind, I want you to realize that 2,000 years ago, God did something that I don't think you could have done, that I could have done. He exhibited love for a human race that was his enemy. For a a human race that deliberately rebelled against his moral law and against his very holy nature and his reign in their lives. 2,000 years ago, nobody loved God, but God loved us. And he showed it to us through the cross. And he manifested that love by sending his son Jesus to give his life for your salvation, for my salvation. You know, God didn't just simply mouth, I love you, but he showed it. He showed us his love by making the greatest sacrifice any father could make. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, he didn't wait for us to get right. There wasn't any way for us to get right. 
It took Jesus dying on the cross for us to get right or to become righteous. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So to say that God's love for sinful mankind is unconditional, because we say that sometimes, that the love of God is unconditional, that's an understatement. He, he didn't demand that we clean up our act first. He didn't demand that we get it together morally. There were no pre-existing conditions or terms that were established before God would send Jesus because God knew that we couldn't meet any terms, that we couldn't meet any conditions. That would be useless. Any effort on our part would never begin to close the gap between God and man. We were hopeless. We were helpless. helpless. But God in love, that's what I'm trying to stress today, in love, God loving us sent Jesus as the answer. And, and just, and I know I touched on this last Sunday, but just to touch on it again, Jesus did not do this reluctantly. Nobody, no one coerced him. I think I said that last week. Nobody coerced Jesus. And I just want to tell you, nobody, nobody forced Jesus. The Bible says he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Okay, this was something that had been established before God even created this world and created man. John uses the word sent in verse 9. In verse 9, that in this the love of God was manifest, that God sent his only son. And, and that implies strongly that Jesus came as the God-man on a mission with a special assignment to fulfill. And he was so determined that he would not return to heaven until it was accomplished. I'm so glad. I hate that he went to the cross, but I'm so glad that he did. How about you? How, how many of you are glad that Jesus did what he did. Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. In Luke 12, 50, speaking of his death on the cross, Jesus said, But I have a baptism to be baptized with. Listen, and he said, How distressed, and that word means compelled I am, until it is accomplished. And you know, the night before he died, he was in the garden, and his flesh, he was God, the God-man. I preached on that last Sunday. The God-man, the incarnate Son of God, the, the man side of him, the human nature, the fleshly part of Jesus did not want to go to the cross. The will of his flesh did not want to go and suffer and die, but he yielded his will to the will of the Father, and he did what needed to be done, and he was determined to redeem us. And at Calvary, he accomplished what he set out to do when he said, it is finished. It is finished, and it was finished. And what needed to be done was, was done for us. And so John, knowing that... Um, knowing everything that I've just preached to you, explicitly tells us why God sent his son. That why, why this act of love? Why out of this great love for us? You know, I just want to stop right here. God was dealing with me in preaching today. You know, we say God loves you. God loves you. Preachers will say God loves you. Sometimes we witness to people and we say God loves you. God loves you. We, want, we like to say that to people. And God does love you. 
Uh, and, and, and you may be saved. And if you're saved, then we know God loves you. You're his child. He's your father. But if you're watching this right now, whether it's live or recorded, and, and you're not saved and you're not right with God, guess what? God still loves you. Now, does he love your sin? No, he despises your sin. He hates your sin. But he loves you. And that's the point I want to make today is that he loved you so much. He loves you so much that 2,000 years ago he sent Jesus to die on the cross for you. The cross screams, I love you. It screams. It is God's declaration. You can never doubt the love of God. If you say, God can't love me. I'm unlovable. I'm so mean. I'm ruthless. I steal. I cheat. I lie. I manipulate people. I take advantage of people. I'm cocky. I'm proud. I've done horrible things. If, if the law knew what I had done, if the police knew, they would arrest me. I'm just a God can't love me, but that's where you're wrong. God loves you today. He does. He, again, he hates your sin but he, he looks past your sins. The old song says, he looked beyond my faults and saw my needs. And I'm just telling you today, God looks past your sin and he sees your need. And your greatest need is, is to be saved. And that's why I know God loves you. And so every time you see a cross... Every time you're going down the road and you see a, a steeple with a cross on it, every time you see a cross in a church or, or somebody with a, a, a silver or gold chain with a silver or gold cross that they're just wearing for, for decoration, that, listen to me, that cross is a statement from God to everyone who sees it is that I love you and I loved you so much that I sent my son to die for you. And so... Out of that love, why did, why did God send Jesus on this mission? I just really, John talks about two simple things. I just want to keep it simple today. He, he said he sent Jesus that you might live through Jesus. I mean, that, that, that's what he said in this verse that is that he sent his only son that we might live through him. And I'm not talking about physical life. You're alive right now. I mean, I hope you are. Uh, if, if not, somebody... Call McDougal's real quick. But, I mean, hopefully you're alive and you're watching this right now and uh, you're breathing. But I'm not talking about physical life. I'm talking about spiritual life. I'm talking about eternal life. John 10.10, 10, Jesus said the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's what the devil does. But just, Jesus said, I have come. I've been sent that you might have life and have it more abundantly. It's literally a super abundance of life. You know, a sinner is spiritually dead and trespasses and sins. That's what the Bible says. And, and that explains why sinners don't want to be in church and sinners don't read their Bibles and sinners don't pray unless they get in trouble. You know, they might pray. And, and sinners don't want to talk about spiritual things and they don't want to listen to preaching like this because they're spiritually dead. Only live people can think and hear and talk and, 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 and interact. But when you're spiritually dead, you can't interact with God. You're, you're spiritually, you can't hear from God, you don't want to talk to God, you don't want to worship God, okay? A detachment from God is death, resulting in a life that is shallow and insignificant and selfish. I don't care how much money you have or what you accomplish, when it's all said and done, your life is vain and meaningless if you don't have a relationship with God. I mean, the writer of Ecclesiastes said, you know, you can work, you can acquire lots of things, eat, drink, enjoy the fruit of your labor, do all those things, get married, have kids, get an education, have a career, climb the corporate ladder, start your own business, fine. But he said, when you die, all of that's gone. It's not yours anymore. 
He said the number one thing is you got to fear God and keep his commandments. What matters is having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you don't have a relationship with Christ and you're not right with God because that's why you were made, okay, then you're just living a meaningless life. But salvation through Jesus resurrects a sinner, crucifying and burying once and for all the old dead life and, and, and uh, giving and generating a new life in Jesus Christ. Listen to me. You've never really lived until you are saved and you live for Jesus. And I stand by that statement. I don't care who you are, what you've accomplished, what you've done, what you enjoy. And you, you know, listen to me. You've only started living when you get saved. You have joy that you don't have right now. You have peace that you don't have right now. You have the love of God that you don't have right now. The guilt, the fear, the shame is gone. You have purpose. You have meaning. God is your father. You, you are a vessel that he uses to impact people's lives. And it's not about making money or building buildings or, or getting a greater share of, 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 of the market in some business. Those things come and go. They're just things. But you're impacting people's lives and doing things that last for all eternity. You have hope and faith and fellowship and spirituality. And it's like the old song says, I just started living. Found me a brand new life. And so Jesus was, came to give you life. And so when you get saved, it's just it's incredible. I've, I've talked to people who, you know, they had it going on, but they were in sin. And then finally they, they gave their life to Jesus Christ. They believed the gospel. And they would tell you, man, you know, I thought I was living. But I, I thought I was normal. And you Christians were abnormal. But the reality is you Christians are normal. This is normal. We're the ones that are weird. I, I was abnormal in sin. That's not the way you're supposed to live your life. And it's so wonderful. So Jesus came that we could have life. Here's the other reason that Jesus came. And John couched it in these terms, but I'll explain it to you. God sent Jesus to be the propitiation. It's a $12 word. Propitiation for your sins. Now this word's only used twice in the New Testament, but oh, is it a powerful word. All right, first, it describes Jesus through his sacrificial death, appeasing the wrath of God on account of your sin. Now, I told you God loves you, but he hates the sin. And, and that hatred is represented in God's wrath. Okay, as much as he loves you, he's a holy God, there's a law that's been broken. Hey, the judge can look at you and say, I love you, but you broke the law. You're going to prison or you're going to death row. I love you, but I can't help it. You broke the law. I'm, I, I can't. I can't change that. I have to uphold the law. That's how God is. God says, I love you, but you're, you're a lawbreaker. And so God hates that, and, and it's called wrath. That's a strong word. But just so you know today, it isn't like God gets a little ticked off at you because you lie or cheat or steal or cheat on your wife or have an affair or whatever. Or you're shacked up with somebody. No, you listen to me. God hates it. I mean, it's wrath. You ever seen somebody just go full bore wrath? That's how God feels. He may love you now, but against your sin, there is nothing but wrath. Let me read you Romans 2, 5 through 6. But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath. And revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds. So listen to me. You cannot comprehend the level of God's violent passion towards your sin and justifiably he is filled with a holy anger and indignation 
regarding every vile, wicked, and rebellious and selfish thing that you say and you do and you think. He abhors it. In John 3, 36, Jesus said, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So listen to this. Let me teach you something. Every time a sinner transgresses and does the wrong thing and disobeys God, he stores up the wrath of God. It is just like like there's a meter, and that meter is just reading higher and higher and higher. You're storing up the wrath of God. But listen to me, as bleak as all that sounds, as intense as all that sounds, listen, why did God send Jesus? What is this whole propitiation thing? God sent Jesus to bear the wrath of God that you deserve. That wrath is going to be released against your sin one of these days when you stand before God in judgment day. So how do you get out of that? Here's how. Jesus suffered the punishment of God for your sins. He let all the wrath of God for your sins be put against him. And that's what happened 2,000 years ago at Calvary. Isaiah 53, 45 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. See, the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus, and he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes were healed. The punishment that brings us peace with God was put on him. That's just a powerful, powerful thought. Listen, the moment you believe in Jesus to be your Savior, God delivers you from justly deserved wrath. It's gone. It's removed. You're no longer condemned. The Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You're no longer condemned to hell and eternal separation from God. So anyway, that's the first meaning of propitiation. It appeases the wrath of God. And that's why, you know, when you get saved, people get saved and get right with the Lord and they're born again, they're changed. They don't walk around fearing God slamming them on the head or throwing them in hell. All that's gone because we understand all that was put on Jesus. And because I put my faith in what Jesus did and he, was in, he stood in my place, I don't have to worry about it. I'm not cursed. I'm blessed. I'm justified. It's a beautiful thing. Now, here's the second thing. I'm going to close with this. Propitiation describes a covering for your sins. So not just the appeasing of wrath, but the covering of your sins. Now, let me explain this. You know, we read the Bible, and sometimes we don't understand some things, in the Old Testament especially. But in the Old Testament, um, the blood of a lamb was offered as a sacrifice in the temple. The lamb was killed. The blood was poured out. So the, the little lamb died and lost its life. Why? To temporarily cover an individual's sin. Temporarily. Because it was an animal. It didn't have the power to permanently deal with the sin. It was a temporary covering. And what would happen is you say, okay, well, the sins I committed up to now, whew, they're covered. But then, you know, two, one, two, three days or one hour goes by and you sin again. Guess what? you got to offer another sacrifice. Every time you sinned, another lamb had to die. But here's what we understand. When, when Jesus uh, died, Okay, and he shed his blood, his death, and his blood was a once and for all sacrifice. Because he was the sinless lamb of God, 
it is a, there is a power there in that one death that covers all my sins, not just in the past, but right now and into the future. He doesn't have to die over and over and over again because he is the Son of God, the sinless, pure Son of God, qualified to be a once and for all sacrifice that covers all of our sins forever. Hallelujah. That ought to make somebody happy right now. And so back in the Old Testament, let me show you this. There was this piece of furniture called the Ark of the Covenant. And it was positioned in a place called the Holy of Holies or the Most Holy Place. And nobody could go back there to that, that piece of furniture. It was, it was a place that was only accessed one time a year on the Day of Atonement. The high priest would go back there and put blood on it. And a sacrifice that had been offered for the sins of the entire nation. And on the, on the, as a lid for the Ark of the Covenant, there was this thing called the mercy seat. The mercy seat. If you've ever watched Indiana Jones, the first movie, um, it, it, it's all about the Ark of the Covenant. Believe it or not, the first Indiana Jones movie is about the Ark of the Covenant. And they, they do a pretty good job of showing what the Ark would have looked like. Uh, it, has, it has the lid on it and the two angels with their wings spread out towards each other. That, that's, that's, that's pretty close. That's about how it's depicted in the Bible. And it's all gold. And you had to carry it with poles. Uh, you wouldn't dare touch it. And if, if you watch Indiana Jones, it's, it's, it's pretty cool, you know, how they, they showed that. And so you could only go back, and there was this cover, this lid, or one time a year, and there was this covering, this lid on it, the mercy seat. And the blood was put on the mercy seat once a year to atone for the sins of the people. But even then, that sacrifice had to be offered year after year after year after year. But watch this. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't take his blood, and go into the temple in Jerusalem and sprinkle his blood on a mercy seat there in the Ark of the Covenant. No. When he died, while his body lay in a tomb, his spirit went to heaven. And he went into the throne room of God, the most holy place, the holy of holies. You can't get any place any more holy than where God is where God dwells, and he walks into the mercy seat, into the holy of holies, where the throne of God is, and he takes the blood, and he offers it to the Father, and he says, Father, here is the blood that I have shed for the sins of all humanity, sinful humanity, for all time. Hallelujah. <laughs> That's just powerful. And it's there now as a covering. It's there to cover Everybody sins when they come before God. It's, so, it's just unbelievable. So here's how it works. When a sinner repents, every sin he has committed, every sin she has committed, listen to me now, is covered over by the blood of Jesus. Covered over. What does that mean? God sees everything. God knows everything. God sees your sin. God knows your heart. God knows whether you're right or wrong. You can fool your mom, your dad, your parents, your kids, your boss, your pastor, the elders of the church. You can fool everybody, but you can't fool God. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on your heart. He sees everything like a, like a film, he, like a movie theater screen. He can see it all, okay? But when, but when you come to God and repent, your sins are covered over by the blood of Jesus. And instead of seeing your sins... All God can see is the blood of his son. They're, they're covered. And I, I think this is a powerful thought 
You know, I told you that the lid on the ark was called the mercy seat. Listen to me. If you go into the, if you ever went into the Holy of Holies, just like if you would go into the throne room of God and you had sin in your life, the judgment of God would come on you. It wasn't a mercy seat, it was a judgment seat. But when the blood of the lamb was applied, it became a mercy seat. Listen to me. You walk into the throne room of God, that's why nobody wants to stand before God. That's why nobody wants to die in their sins because you're going to have to stand before a holy God and be judged for your sins. Nobody wants to stand before the judgment seat of God. But listen to me, when you put your faith in Jesus and what he's done and you, and you receive by grace this wonderful gift of salvation, you humbly say, God, forgive me. I can't save myself, but Jesus did what needed to be done. Forgive me my sins. Then the, the judgment seat turns into the mercy seat. Hallelujah. And you go in and you find mercy instead of judgment. And you say, I appeal to what Jesus did. And God says, you know what? I'm going to extend mercy to you. And I'm going to extend grace to you. And I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to wash you and cleanse you of all your sins. And I'm going to change you. I'm going to breathe life into you, make you spiritually alive. And I'm going to adopt you as my son. And I declare you justified and you're not guilty anymore. And I'm going to change you and make you born again and a new creature. creature. And I'm going to buy you back out of the slave market of sin. You're free from the power of sin. You can say no to sin. You don't have to sin. You can repent and you can turn from sins and start living right for the rest of your life. That's why Jesus came on the mission that he did. And ultimately, so you can have fellowship and relationship with him, not just now, but forever and forever. I know that this is a verse that most people know. I mean, even people who aren't living right know this verse. I just wanted to end 2020. That's when I felt so strong in my spirit. I just wanted to end talking about the love of God, how much God loves you. Just again, reiterating, reiterating what he did for us. Reiterating the lengths that God went to show us his love and to save us from our sins. So in December 27th, 2020, on this last Sunday of this crazy year. And only God knows what will be going on 2021. Hallelujah. I feel the Lord. I hope you feel what I feel right now. I just want to finish with John 3.16. For God. Not just love this world, but so loved this world. <laughs> so loved this world. So loved you. That he gave his only begotten son. Just another way of saying that he sent his only begotten son. Why? To die for us. So that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. You don't have to go to bed tonight worrying about dying in your sleep and waking up in a devil's hell, being eternally separated from God. You don't have to, you don't have to worry about going into 2021 godless. Godless. I don't want to go, I don't want to finish today, go into tomorrow, much less next year. I don't want to go into those times without God in my life. You don't have to. God, he gave his only begotten. The whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. 
Everlasting life. Pastor, does that mean I'm going to live forever and go to heaven? It does. But it means more than that. Eternal life is a gift from God now. Okay? John 17, Jesus said, now this is eternal life, that they may know you. He was was praying to the Father, that they may know you, the only true God, and know me, Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, whom you have sent. In other words, eternal life is just having a relationship with Jesus. Because if I'm, if I'm walking in this holy, pure, saved relationship with Jesus every morning, every day, every night, every day of my life, hey, when I die, I just keep on having that relationship with him. I just transfer from this world to that one. You can have eternal life right now. You can know all, have all the things that go with it, but most of all, your sins washed away and be right with God right now. So I'm going to pray with you. So wherever you are, I want to just ask you to bow your heads right now. If you're watching this as a family, I want to ask everybody in the room, just bow your heads. Just act, act like you were in this building, but bow your heads right now. And I want to pray with you. If you're saved, I want you to just have a little worship service and say, thank you, Jesus, for coming to die for me and to save me from my sins. And if you're not saved, I want to challenge you right now with faith and humility, okay, and leaning totally on the grace of God. I want you to just simply pray something like this. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I believe that you died for me and rose again and that you took the punishment for my sins. Lord, forgive me and come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. Okay, just pray it right now. Pray that prayer right now. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. You don't have to be fancy. God, forgive me. I I believe what the pastor just preached. I believe it, Lord. What Pastor Chris just said, I believe all that. Appropriate that. Take my sins away. Watch what will happen. The Bible says, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. As you're praying right now, the rest of you just pray. And I'm going to pray tonight. Father, thank you so much for this year, how you've helped us through this year. COVID-19, the pandemic turned all of our worlds upside down. So many other things, our America's lived, it's been a tumultuous time. Our land has been polarized and divided and even the church has been affected by it, God. We don't know what will happen in 2021. We don't even know if we'll get there. You said sufficient under the day is the evil thereof. So God, we'll just worry about today. If we're saved and born again, it's all right because we're going to go through this day with Jesus in our hearts, walking in relationship with you. And Lord, I pray right now for anyone who's praying right now and asking you to come into their heart and forgive them of their sins, Lord. I pray for them that as they are giving their life to Jesus, they'll have that sweet assurance that they're saved and they're born again by faith, through grace. And that God, when they finish praying, they'll know Jesus has taken my sins away. And I'm right with God. Hallelujah. I feel the joy. I feel the peace. I feel the love. I feel the presence of the Lord. The Holy Spirit is inside of me. Sin is out and the Holy Spirit is in. Hallelujah. And that God, from this day on, they'll finish 2020 living for you and go into 2021 saved and born again. So thank you, Jesus, for what you did for us, what you did for me. Hallelujah. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.